0: Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi,
1: this is Linda Popke and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Dory Clark, who is an adjunct professor at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, and she's the author of Reinventing You, Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine, and her new book, which is Entrepreneurial You. She is a former presidential campaign spokeswoman, and she's been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. Dory's also a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, and she consults and speaks for clients including Google, Microsoft and the World Bank. And Dory's also a producer of a multiple Grammy award-winning jazz album. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dory. Thanks for being here.
0: Hey, Linda, thanks for having me.
1: This is so fascinating because you you've really focused on on how to again make people stand out and self re- reinvent themselves. Why did you write Entrepreneurial U? Because You? Because you've talked about reinventing ourselves, which sort of includes being an entrepreneur. But tell us more about the background and where Entrepreneurial You came from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're right that uh, that in some cases, certainly, reinventing yourself might include a journey into entrepreneurship. But specifically, I wrote Entrepreneurial You because I think more and more we are shifting into a fundamental change in our economy which is that more and more people are taking on portfolio careers now i think that's getting a lot of press at uh, you know kind of kind of the the low end in some ways people are talking about the gig economy and all the you know folks who are uber drivers and task rabbits and things like that but more and more this is beginning to affect I I would argue in many positive ways, um, white-collar professionals, knowledge workers, who are increasingly able, thanks to the possibilities afforded by the Internet, to – create multiple streams of income. Now, it's not necessarily self-evident how to do that, which is why I, I wrote the book, but for people who can who can harness that, whether you have a, a full-time job and just want to uh, create some, some side security for yourself, or if you're already an entrepreneur and want to scale your income and hopefully develop more methods of passive income, uh, there are a world of possibilities and potential that I I think most people have not yet tapped.
1: And that's fascinating because when we think about entrepreneurs, we think about those people going out and starting new businesses. And we know that most businesses in this country really are small businesses. And we think about starting out. But talk a little bit more about how you can be entrepreneurial while you still have that day job with that regular paycheck.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In in the past, this was – largely considered anathema, which is, which is why I think many people right. have continued to, uh, to stay away from it. Uh, if you were involved in some kind of entrepreneurial side venture, it was viewed as a distraction from the company. Uh, there was the possibility that people might be you know, skeptical of you or, or say, oh, you know, are you misusing company resources, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, it, it kind of made you a target in some ways. But more and more what, what we are seeing is – a change that is twofold. First of all, on the employee side, it's, it's pretty self-evident that we can't rely on our companies for permanent job security anymore. That is, that is just not a thing. And so if we can do something that is beneficial and, and upfront and ethical that can enable us to create more possibilities, more opportunities, and a uh, targeted form of professional development for ourselves, that's that's often a good thing for us to be doing. But on the company side, I I think the real Leap forward for for the companies that are smart is that increasingly you're starting to see savvy leaders understand you know we all we all hear it a million times you know innovation's the path forward we need to be more innovative well okay if that is the case then why are we stifling the innovation that your current employees are already bringing to the table. If you are an entrepreneur, if you are somebody who works at a company but but has an entrepreneurial side venture, that is not, to the smartest leaders, a sign that you are disinterested or uh, unfocused or about to jump ship. It is a sign of ambition. It is a sign of someone who knows how to get things done and who has the the smarts and the wherewithal to teach themselves how to do it and solve problems. That's exactly the kind of person you want to reward and keep in your company. And so in many ways, entrepreneurship can become a positive indicator for a company. And in my book, Entrepreneurial You, I actually cite several examples of people that have prospered in their professional lives because of their entrepreneurial side ventures and the the skills that they've developed in the course of, of pursuing that.
1: That's fantastic. It's so nice to see because for so long, you're right, we had to kind of be quiet about what we did on the weekend or nights or whatever and hope no one found out and got into trouble. Uh, as a marketer, marketing, I think, in general is a, um, a profession that lends itself to, to entrepreneurialism. Um, you know, maybe you want to do some writing on the side, maybe you want to do some web work or whatever. What kind of um, thoughts do you have about how marketers can really... Take advantage of this, this trend around entrepreneurialism inside a company?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think there's, there's a number of possibilities. In, and in entrepreneurial you, I, I really try to lay it out as kind of a smorgasbord for people, because uh, the, the truth is, one particular path is not going to be right for everybody. And also, uh, it is important to resist the impulse to, uh, to load up your, your uh, cart at the buffet, so to speak. <laughs> right. um, there's, there's a lot of cool things you could be doing. I do not advise trying to do 10 of them at once. Uh, instead, what i like to suggest to people is that if you are thinking about adding some kind of entrepreneurial side venture to what you're doing, pick one and focus on that for at least a year before you try to add anything else onto it. Otherwise, you're probably going to be pulled in a lot of different directions but if you can if you can pick one thing that appeals to you uh, that is uh that's often a a pretty good bet now i lay out possibilities in entrepreneurial you in in kind of a rough sense from the easiest lift to the heaviest lift mm-hmm. and so within that people can can sort of see what appeals but what i would suggest is the metrics to look at are of course number one what what is fun for you because you know you're doing this on your own time it should be fun um, but also what what has the lowest barriers to entry what doesn't cost you a lot of money what is something that you can do without a pre-existing following um, so some examples of that might be um, you know coaching or consulting. Mm-hmm for any of these things, you would want to make make sure you're very clear on what your company's policies are but uh, but something like that could be a possibility also things that that can be I'll call them platform-building activities, but that also, once you have a large enough audience, might potentially be able to be monetized, such as podcasts or blogs or video series, etc., might be good things to investigate. The things that I would say maybe hold off on until you're at a more advanced stage in your business would be the things that that really require you to already have some scale in order Mm -hmm. to pull off. Uh, For instance you know, oh, I'm going to organize a conference. Well, you know, that that is amazing. Yeah. But it, if you're going to try to get 300 people to pay you $1,000 a piece or something like that, you are you need to know a lot more than 300 people. And so uh, it, it, it becomes a real challenge. And so in order not to bite off more than you can chew, starting with the kind of smaller, easier things where the risks of failure and, uh, you know, financial commitment are – Smaller or non-existent is, is usually a better path in.
1: And that makes a lot of sense, yeah. And and I love the the metaphor of don't fill your your cart too much at the buffet because we see this and we want to eat everything right all at once. How do you know whether you're doing too much and how do you balance what you're doing on the entrepreneurial side with the fact that someone is paying you for a day job? When do you and some companies will take everything that you can give them from that day job, so. How do you know when you've kind of gone overboard or you're you're close to the edge and you need to back off a bit?
0: Yeah, that's it's an important question. I, I think that it speaks to a larger issue or a larger problem in contemporary corporate culture, which is that some workplaces are, let's be honest, a little bit unhealthy, and they will they will drive you to the point of exhaustion. Now, I, I think that in many ways, the key is separating the two questions because, of course, if you have a day job, you want to execute on that well, you want to give people a fair day's work for the money that they are paying you. Um, However, if by a fair day's work, they are considering that to be, you know, 18 18 hours a day. 24 hours um, a
1: day, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's, that's that's not necessarily an environment that that you want to be in or be part of in general. Um, I I think that ideally the two questions you ask yourself is number one, what, what is a a reasonable uh, expectation that, uh, that, you know, that a company would have for me. And if you're honest with yourself, just regard, you know, regardless of uh, any entrepreneurial side venture, I mean, you know, if if you weren't doing an entrepreneurial thing it would be you know spending time with your family or resting right. or exercising or any of these things if you look at the answer to that question and you and you just say on its face it is irrational what they're expecting of you um the truth is it will be hard for you over the long term to keep them satisfied with anything because right. you know whether you ever do entrepreneurship or not at a certain point, your body's going to start failing, or your family is going to start failing, and so I think it's worth asking those questions. Now, you know, tier two here. If you, if you do get to a scenario where you say, okay, this company has you know, high expectations, but reasonable expectations. Um, you establish that first, you meet those, and then, uh, you know, to be fair, you're you, you, were, you were not chiseling time out of your workday, which what you're doing is making conscious choices about your private time that, that really is your private time and how you're using it. Now, the good news is that for a lot of people, they just fritter it away on movies or TV or something like that. You can redeploy it. Um, for people that are already high-performing professionals, the, the truth is some sacrifices will have to be made. You may need to decide. Uh, it, these are, and these are painful choices. This is why you know not everybody does this. But you may need to decide, you know what? I have loved, you know, having my whatever my Thursday night get together with my pals forever. But maybe for the next year, year and a half, I just can't do it anymore because I need to devote the time to this. Or, you know, maybe instead of uh, instead of working out four times a week, you work out two times a week. Or, you know, what, whatever it is, it's it's consciously choosing how to allocate your time. But the goal, you know, specifically. Uh, it's not its not to deprive yourself or, or anything like that. Um, ideally, you are making a strategic investment in your future with the choices that you are making.
1: Right, yeah. I understand. And I think that makes a lot of sense because we, you're right, we do spend a lot of time in things that we probably don't need to spend time on, um, usually related to the Internet or, or our phones or, or tablets or something of that nature. But then there's also the issue of, of understanding what that balance is and and I think you make a great point that if a company would be sucking all the energy out of you that's going to happen whether or not you're doing something on the side or, or not so, uh, so it's, it's understanding all of that from a marketing perspective as, um, as marketers how does this change how we reach out to people how we do marketing by the fact that there is this new class of kind of intra out, entrepreneurs whatever you want to call them um because there does this change the way that we look at people and and how we should be thinking about this whole idea of jobs and work?
0: Yeah, I think I think that it's it's interesting um you know, when you're talking about reaching out to people I, I think of course there's there's uh, multiple levels, you know, if if it if it's that we're mark we're marketing to them Ooh. or if we're thinking about talent acquisition and recruiting right. people for our companies. Um I think that what this has the potential to do, if it is done right, is really dramatically increase workplace satisfaction and performance. And the reason for that, I mean, it's pretty self-evident. If you give an employee the opportunity to make their job more like their hobby, more like the thing that they are choosing to do of their own volition, often for no money, in their free time, they're almost certainly going to be enjoying their job better and they are probably going to perform better at it because they're coming from a place of, of passion. And so if you as a marketer are thinking about, you know, how do, how do I lure the top talent to the company, for instance, um, giving people the opportunity to not just stuff themselves into a job description where, you know, if they're a smart person, I mean, yeah, they can probably figure it out. They can probably do okay with it. But, but instead, to really almost craft a bespoke job description for, for people who are talented in certain areas and have experience they've been cultivating in certain areas, um, it just makes a tremendous difference. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not starting with the org chart and then bending humans to fit it. It's starting with humans, and then creating a structure that maximizes what they do best. Ooh. And you hear a lot. I know you're you're based out in Silicon Valley, uh, yep. Linda. Uh, you know you hear about about the search for talent, about how you know a top engineer is you know not just two times more effective than a than an okay one, but they're ten times, they're a hundred times more effective than an okay engineer. And similarly, I, I think that there's a lot of people that might be technically average performers with the things that we are asking them to do, but they could be extraordinary performers if they are doing things that they themselves have identified as a calling and as part of their unique skill set.
1: Interesting, yeah. So it, it's interesting because we, we don't hear that very often. We hear, how do we make the employee better for the company or how, do we, how does the company make the employee more engaged? But I don't think companies have done overall a good job yet of thinking about part of the way we get them engaged is have them working for things outside of what we do. Which which brings me to one area where I think companies are doing a better job, and that's around the pro bono or nonprofit work. Do you see that as a way that kind of from that point you can become more entrepreneurial? Because we see see companies like Google or or Salesforce that – It's a part of your job is to take so many hours a week or a month or a year and devote that to a cause or to a a nonprofit or, um, you know, some kind of organization. Is that a way to kind of encourage this entrepreneurialism in people?
0: I think it certainly can be. I mean, you know, of of course, as with all things, it it can kind of get diluted sometimes. I mean, I yep, think some, yep. some companies slap it on. as like, oh, it's our, it's, you know, here you get two hours a year that you can do this little thing that we'll talk about. I mean, you know, it, it's not, uh, and it's not necessarily that meaningful. But I think that if it is done with a seriousness of intent, it can be quite powerful. Um, in fact, in my first book, Reinventing You, I tell the story about a woman named Karen Turr, who I actually got to know because she was a board member of mine when I was the executive director of a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and Karen was what was, uh, you know, this 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 board member who did a lot of volunteering for us. And one of the things she did was she chaired this uh, this annual fundraising event, and she she did so well at it. And she discovered she really loved it. She loved event planning. She loved uh, raising money for. For Good Causes, that originally that, that wasn't actually her, her day job at all, um, but she gained so much experience and so much clarity about what she loved from her volunteer work with my organization that she actually changed jobs. She changed careers and got a job in development uh, first at a local university and uh, and then for a number of other organizations of greater and greater prominence, and for the past now probably close to 10 years, she has been a, uh, an independent uh, fundraising and event planning professional, and it, it all stemmed from something that she learned about herself through her volunteer work, and I think that if, if we can treated in that light as kind of this this lab for exploration this place where you know they're not they're not paying you and so of course they're expecting effort and they're expecting good work but they're not necessarily expecting perfection. Uh, it gives you a little bit more freedom and flexibility to be willing to try new things and to say, you know, I've never done this before. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it done, but, you know, it might take me a little longer, you know, as I figure it out. Um, that, that's the kind of playground where you can begin to to learn those skills that you can then bring back to the office later, um, but also learn, learn new things about yourself and really what makes you tick.
1: That makes sense. Absolutely so we 've talked a lot of different ways about entrepreneurialism. If I was not sure where to go and where i 'm starting with where, where how would I get started in this i mean what What do you tell me is, is kind of the first thing that I should do and and how how can I kind of just dip my toe in the in the water, so to speak and and figure out whether it makes sense for me to be more entrepreneurial
0: Well, one good starting place Linda is what people are already asking you for, and what I mean by that is that sometimes people have what i what I think is kind of the, the erroneous view of entrepreneurship, which is that you have to come up with some brilliant great idea <laughs> and and then but and then no one before yes. no one's, one's ever, thought, to,
1: of yeah. no right.
0: one's ever <laughs> thought of it. then you need to get money, you know raise money for right. it and it just it becomes this whole huge, complicated thing and Anyway, there's a guy that I profiled in the new book, Entrepreneurial You, named Bozidar. Dar. And he really did a great job, I think, of, of kind of showing both ends of this. His first stab, he's, you know, very successful. He's a vice president at a life sciences company. Um, but his first stab at entrepreneurship was uh, was this sort of classic case where he's like, I'm going to make an app. And, of course, he never made an <laughs> app. He had no idea, spent a ton of money, just blew it. Nobody wanted his app. It was very sad. Um, but but then, you know, after after a little while, kind of hanging his head in shame and having to shut that down, he started noticing that something that actually was working really well in his life was that he was rocking it at his day job. He kept getting promoted, like, really fast. Every year it seemed like he was getting a promotion. And after a while, people started noticing. And they started coming to him and saying, hey, can I meet with you? Can I take you out for coffee? How are you getting promoted so fast? And he realized, after enough people asked him, he's like, wait a minute. This this is something A, that people are actually really interested in, and B, they think I have expertise to share in this. Mm -hmm. And he realized that was the starting point. And so based on that, he created an online course about how to get promoted faster. And that, for him, has been a big success. And his first full year in business that uh, that he put it out, he earned an an extra $106,000 in addition to his regular day job salary.
1: Wow. So there's definitely a market for this. I mean, there's definitely people that are out there. Yep. So in terms of if we wanted to to kind of know where to go, can you help us? Do you have some place you can send us to where we can find out a little bit more about this and jump in?
0: I do. Thank you, Linda. Yeah. On my website, which is doryclark.com, it's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K, I I have actually at this point more than 500 free articles that I've written for places like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review uh, talking about marketing and uh, entrepreneurship and branding, uh, all, all the, the, the topics in that constellation. And for folks who especially are interested in the question of portfolio careers and how to monetize your expertise, I have a, a free resource that they might like. It's an 88-question entrepreneurial use self-assessment, and they can get that at doryclark.com entrepreneur.
1: That's fantastic. Great. So for those of you listening who aren't sure if you're ready to jump in and maybe even do the online course or start another business, this is a great way to, um, to find out what's out there. So you mentioned something about having more than 500 articles on your on your website. So I want to just ask you a little bit of a different question here. Obviously, you're, you've done very well at creating content. Uh, how do people get started with that? Because certainly creating content, to my mind, is what helps make you a thought leader. People see you out there. They see you in places like uh, Forbes or Harvard Business Review or or wherever. Uh, How do we get started with that and what is is it you can tell us about becoming more of an expert at creating content?
0: Yeah, well thank you Linda. I I appreciate it and I I agree. Uh, Certainly uh, creating content is in many ways the cornerstone of developing your professional reputation outside the walls of the organization that you work for. Um, and so I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about uh, about content creation. In fact, last year I even developed this online course called the Rapid Content Creation Masterclass. Uh, but so I think the the primary thing to think about when it comes to a content creation strategy is to envision a so-called ladder strategy, because the the goal that most people are going to have. Um, let, let's assume you are not intending to build a blog that you monetize specifically. Um, If you are thinking of content creation as a form of credibility enhancement, then the best way to do that is to write for brand name publications that people have already heard of. Now, it is often hard to break in with them initially. And Mm -hmm. so what you need to do is build your so-called bank of clips, meaning your writing samples, so that they can eventually evaluate that. So first, you would want to write articles in the style of the publication that you would like to get into, um, so that they can kind of see with their own eyes, like, oh, yeah, she can write this kind of article. Write that for your own blog. Or if you don't have a blog, you know, write it for LinkedIn, write it for Medium, something where you can post it and there's no gatekeeper and you can just get it done. But then you want to steadily and successively ladder up to more and more prominent publications. And so, meaning, you might go from writing for your own LinkedIn profile to writing something for, uh, let's say, a regional professional association magazine or newsletter. Uh, And then maybe you go from there to your local business journal. And then from there, maybe you go to a a kind of second-tier national business publication. And then from there, you would work your way up to pitching a uh, a sort of prominent nationally or internationally recognized outlet. And you will have clips to share with them, not just from your own website, um, but from essentially the, you know, the AAA club, so to speak, that they, uh, you know, to use a baseball metaphor, uh, so that they look at and say, oh, you published in this place that's like a feeder for us? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, you must be pretty credible. And so they're likely to give your, your work a good solid look.
1: That's great. And I think one of the key things you said there was to write in the style of the publication you want to be published in, because very often we write in a style that we think is good, but if you're going to write for Harvard Business Review, it's a very different style than if you're working, writing for Inc. Magazine or, um, or Fortune or Forbes, etc. And so if you're Harvard Business Review, not only do you want to see that, that someone has written for all those things, but you want to see that people can write in the style that you're looking for. So I think that's absolutely critical. Yeah.
0: Yes, Great. absolutely.
1: Thank you. Well, this has been fantastic, and we could talk all day, but I uh, just wanted to um, to finish up here. If there's one thing you could tell people to do when they leave here, uh, one thing to think about about being more entrepreneurial, what would you have them leave with?
0: If folks are interested in finding ways to become more entrepreneurial, I, I think that one of the best questions to ask yourself, and this is something that I, I put forward in, in my book, stand out is to really start by, by asking yourself, what are other people in your field missing? And when you answer that question, it begins to illuminate possibilities for you and they could be missing it for a variety of reasons. Maybe, maybe there's a way that everything was always done that there really was the right way to do it, but there might have been a technological shift or a new entrant in the marketplace that has changed things just a little bit, but people haven't, haven't yet caught up with that reality. Uh, maybe it's that um, everybody in your field comes out of a certain training or mindset, but if you have... a a different education maybe everyone else has an MBA but instead you went to design school or whatever it is. maybe you're seeing things just enough differently that that you are perceiving lacunae that the rest of the marketplace has not grasped and that begins to present possibilities and opportunities for you that you can then exploit
1: that's fantastic okay look for what other people you feel are missing Great. Well, thank you, Dory. We've been here talking with Dory Clark, who has written a number of books, but her latest one is called Entrepreneurial You. And thank you so much for being here with us.
0: Hey, Linda, thanks so much. Great speaking with you.
1: Okay. This is Linda Popke. Till next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership.
0: We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.LeverageToMarket.com.